Hello, my fellow ortho enthusiasts, and welcome to the Seaview Ortho Podcast, where we cover everything orthopedics to get you back to quality living. I am your host, Layla Jabbar, and you are joining us for episode six, where we will be discussing what a pain in the joints arthritis is and treatments without surgery. For this very exciting episode, we have a guest host, Dr. Joel Fetchison of Seaview Orthopedics. Also joining us from the joint team at Seaview Ortho are Dr. Art Mark and Dr. Burt Parcells. Our orthopedic joint replacement surgeons treat each of their patients as individuals. Every painful hip and every aching knee is different and require treatment personalized to the individual patient. Enough from me. Let's hear from the experts. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Fetchison, one of the Joel joint replacement specialists at uh, Seaview Orthopedics. I did my fellowship at the Insall Scott Kelly Institute at Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. I've been with the practice 11 years, and I currently treat patients out of the Ocean, Freehold, Brick, and Barnegat offices. The one interesting thing I've done this summer was actually help my four-year-old Cole recover from tonsil surgery, which was rough, but it did give me and my two-year-old Cameron access to all the ice cream we could possibly handle. So that was, that was a real positive. I'm joined by Dr. Arthur Mark, one of my good friends and our senior joint replacement specialist. Art, you want to say hello? Hi, how are you doing? Thanks, Joel. Um, I'm Dr. Arthur Mark. Uh, I've been here now for 20 years. I am a fellowship uh, trained joint replacement surgeon, just like my colleagues. Um, I uh, did my fellowship at uh, Mass General Hospital with Harvard in uh, 2002, and I've been here at the Jersey Shore practicing ever since. Um, I've been taking care of patients here in this area. We all specialize in total joints and revisions, and uh, I'd like to introduce our uh, newer associate, uh, Dr. Bert Purcells. Hi. I'm Bert Parcells. I did my training at um, Robert Wood Johnson in New Jersey, and then I did a fellowship in Bern, Switzerland. And I've been with the practice for five years almost. I do most of my surgeries at Monmouth Medical Center. I also am at Jersey Shore and Ocean Medical Center. And I look forward to talking with everybody about some of the kind of key issues of joint replacement surgery. So as orthopedic surgeons, we, we obviously treat a, a variety of musculoskeletal conditions, but as joint replacement specialists, we really focus on arthritis as our, our main topic. And I think it's important that we try to define what arthritis really is. When you see TV and, and listen to radio and, and read tabloids, you see a variety of, of references to arthritis, but what is it? What does it really entail? So, Dr. Mark, could you give us uh, a definition of arthritis in, in layman's terms to try to better elucidate what arthritis means? Um, arthritis is um, is a problem with our joints. Now, you're looking at this like everything else they talk about. You have this itis. So, this itis, arthritis, means that there's some kind of inflammation involved. So arthritis is inflammation in the joints. And there's really two big categories. There's osteoarthritis, which is the classic wear and tear of your joints. And then there's rheumatoid arthritis. And rheumatoid arthritis is a class of arthritis in which it's an autoimmune problem. Your body is actually attacking your own joints and causing inflammation. 
Now, it's very important that you think about this as an inflammation problem because as your joint degrades, it forms pain by having inflammation. So we always talk about what can we do that's non-operative. It's all about controlling the inflammation, which controls the pain. And inflammation really is the problem when it comes to arthritis, and it's inflammation of a very specific part of the joint, the articular cartilage. And that sounds like a fancy term, but it's actually the type of cartilage that makes up the majority of our joint. And we can evaluate that articular cartilage with simple set of x-rays. Dr. Parcells, what kind of x-rays do you obtain in the office to try to show patients what kind of arthritis they have? Yeah, so as Dr. Mark was talking about, you're looking for cartilage damage. And cartilage is the cushion that sits between the ends of your bones. And so when you want to get an x-ray, you're looking for the loss of that cushion. And when people are standing up and gravity is pushing the ends of the bones together, it highlights areas where that cushion is now missing or partially damaged. And so a standing x-ray of your hip or your knees will show arthritis when the bones are really close together or touching each other. And the, the term that always gets thrown around is bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. And that just refers to the fact that there's none of that cushion left between the ends of the bones. And so they're touching each other. And you have, to, you have to have somebody standing up to be able to see that bone-on-bone -bone contact. I think that's a great explanation, Bert. And a lot of patients come into the office and are concerned that an x-ray isn't actually enough. And they, they ask about bone scans and, and MRIs and other types of, of advanced studies that they might need. Dr. Mark, are those types of studies actually necessary or can we evaluate how much arthritis a patient actually has with just an x-ray? That's a really good question. Um, I personally feel that a plain x-ray weight bearing um, will give you much more information than an MRI in most cases when it comes to arthritis. There are some very rare instances where we may need some advanced imaging. Um, people confuse uh, meniscus tears, which is the most common reason why we get MRIs with arthritis. Um, I like calling a meniscus as a meniscus and not meniscal cartilage because there's a difference between articular cartilage and meniscal cartilage. Um, and as you get more arthritic, you may wear through your meniscus also and have a tear. Um, that's why usually you can't get an MRI right away unless you try some other things first. But to me, uh, an x-ray in my office weight-bearing standing gives me much more information than an MRI a majority of the time. I think that's a great point. And an x-ray in the office actually gives us far more information than any of these other studies that you may hear about on TV or in the tabloids, we can evaluate these conditions with just the technology we have right here in the office. Dr. Parcells, arthritis is typically associated with patients who are a little bit older, kind of like Dr. Mark over here, who does have a birthday tomorrow. Happy early Ooh. birthday. <clears throat> but there are different types of arthritis. There's post-traumatic arthritis. There's rheumatoid arthritis. What age range uh, of patients are we typically treating? Yeah, so I think 
osteoarthritis, which is your wear and tear, is definitely the most common type. And you think of osteoarthritis as like tread on the tire of your car. So the more you, the more miles you put on your car, the more tread you lose. So people with a little more miles on their knees are the people who have more arthritis. And so typically you're seeing this in people over the age of 60. But there's certainly like your college athletes or your marathon runners or a lot of these very active people who um, are showing up with kind of advanced arthritis in, in their 50s. Um, and a lot of times these are people who have like, you know, their heart is in great condition. They're kind of, you know, like a, someone with a heart of like a 35-year-old, but knees of like a 70-year-old. And so um, for the most part, we're seeing um, people over 60, but it's, I, I don't know what you're feeling is, Joel, but I, I see a lot of people younger than you'd expect with pretty bad arthritis. Unfortunately, we are seeing a trend toward younger patients developing more advanced degenerative change, either due to their activity or due to other conditions that they may have, whether it be obesity or uh, conditions that may make it difficult for them to exercise regularly. So what we want you to know is that it's not just older patients that can get arthritis. It is a wide variety of ages that we can treat. Yeah. And we at, at CVU Orthopedics use a collaborative approach uh, to treatment of arthritis, and it's not always operative. And that's going to be the real focus uh, of our discussion today. We'd like to take you through the big five treatment options for arthritis that do not involve surgery. So we're going to start with some simple medications that you can actually use. And Dr. Mark, maybe you can take us through some of the, the simple anti-inflammatory medications that we can use to treat arthritis. You mentioned before that arthritis really is an inflammation issue. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the medications that are available? So that's a very good point. Anti-inflammatories have really been at the heart of our treatment for uh, arthritis. Um, like I said, it's an inflammation process. So if you can block the inflammation, you can block the pain. Um, so our frontline medications that I recommend all my patients are uh, two of the over-counter anti-inflammatories we recommend everybody. And that is ibuprofen, which goes by the trade names of Motrin or Advil. And then there's naproxen, which goes by the trade name of Aleve. Those two actually work the best. Now, unfortunately, all anti-inflammatories do thin the blood a little bit. They can give you some GI upset. They're not really great for your kidneys and heart if you take them in high doses. So another good pain medication that's not an anti-inflammatory is Tylenol, which works as a much different mechanism, but that's also a good pain reliever. But I think for the average day-to-day -day person that's healthy and doesn't have any other medical issues, anti-inflammatories is the core of our treatment. So the two that I mentioned are over-the-counter. Uh, they're readily available in any pharmacy. Um, if you want to get a little more fancy, there's about 20 or 30 more anti-inflammatories that are prescription. The ones that uh, we use a lot are Celebrex, which tends to be a little bit safer for your stomach. 
uh, Mobic, which tends to also be a little bit safer for your stomach. And then there's some old-fashioned ones like Diflokinac, there's Relafin, there's a whole bunch of other ones that sometimes work better for certain patients than others. Uh, like I said, one may work better for one person and a different one may work better for a different one. I usually try to start out with the least expensive ones, which are the over-the-counter, as long as it doesn't bother your stomach or, uh, you know, gives you trouble with your kidneys or hearts. You can feel free to take it as much as you want. But if you're taking it long-term, you should talk to your primary care doctor or your orthopedist about it. That's a, that's a great uh, description of those types of medications. Are And, you know, we do have to be careful with patients that are on blood thinners and also patients that may have kidney issues. And those are actually patients where those types of medications may be contraindicated. So it is very important that you have a comprehensive list of your medications when you do come to the office so that we know what we can and cannot prescribe to you. So outside of the anti-inflammatories and analgesics like Tylenol, there are other nutraceutical type of medications that can be used. And Bert, maybe you can give us a, a quick overview of the chondroitin sulfates and, and glucosamines of the world that a lot of patients have heard about. Yeah. What was that term you used? Nutris Nutraceuticals. Mm -hmm. That's a radio term. Nutraceutical. I thought no, you might like that. I use that all the time. <laughs> So my little thing with nutraceuticals Wait a minute. Is, I told Bert he could talk about this. <laughs> you can start first. I just want to keep saying that word. <laughs> um, well, the idea is that um, our joints contain a lubricating agent uh, that helps them move smoothly, almost like motor oil in your car. And your body produces its own motor oil, which is nice. It, sometimes, it can get supplemented with, with like gels, which we'll talk about. But there are certain molecules that are contained within that fluid, which help lubricate your joints and keep them moving smoothly. And if you take supplements that help stimulate the production of that fluid, it is healthy for your, healthy for your joint. And so the glucosamine is probably the most well-studied and best example of a uh, medication that you can take that helps kind of just provide generalized joint health. Nutraceutical. Nutraceuticals. That's our. <laughs> that's going to be our fun word of the day. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on to Wait, number. What you have more? Well, some people are fans of nutraceuticals. I don't think that they're necessarily too bad. But you know, the problem with nutraceuticals is if something exists in nature, it can't be regulated by the FDA. So you have to be careful that people or manufacturers will put on their bottle what they can and can't do. They actually don't have to prove that they work. All you have to do is that they prove no harm. As long as it doesn't harm you, then you can take it. Now, I think very popular is a chondroitin sulfate with glucosamine. If it helps you, it's great. If it doesn't help you, don't spend too much money. The science behind it is it probably acts a little bit like an anti-inflammatory. Just like the new popular thing is turmeric. Everybody wants to take turmeric for arthritis. And again, it's a good anti-inflammatory. And because it's a spice, people think you can take as much as you want. You have to be careful. Every medication does have side effects. So you need to be a little bit careful. And you do need to put this down and let people know that you're taking these medications. 
That's a great point as well. It is very important to let your surgeon know the types of, of vitamins that you are taking because there are a number of different quote-unquote anti-inflammatories and nutraceuticals on the market that can actually thin your blood, which would make surgery far more difficult for us if we eventually got to that point. So don't discount over-the-counter medications that you may be taking. Please include them when you list your medications when you come into the office. Um, we're going to move on to number two in terms of our, our big five non-operative treatment options, and that includes physical therapy. And I, for one, think that there is very little in orthopedics that physical therapy cannot improve upon when it comes to arthritis. And we prescribe, we prescribe physical therapy for the majority of our patients as an initial baseline treatment. And that includes a number of very simple exercises that you may not be performing at home. So, Dr. Parcells, what are the goals uh, of physical therapy when it comes to a patient with arthritis? Yeah. So, a lot of times I'll talk to patients, and when I recommend physical therapy, they kind of roll their eye a little bit. Because... I mean, we're all American and we like the quick fix. And, uh, you know, a lot of these medications or nutraceuticals can provide a more faster fix. But the truth is that by building up strength and flexibility in your knee or your hip, whatever joint is kind of affected by arthritis, it's been shown to be one of the, the best ways to improve function and reduce pain. And... If you can imagine an arthritic joint that is chronically inflamed affects the surrounding soft tissue significantly. And it causes those joints to be stiff. It causes the muscles around them to be weak. And that has a big impact, not only on the affected joint, but the rest of your body. And so the goal of physical therapy is to get your body back into shape. And as a result, the, there's less pressure and less stress and less stiffness in that arthritic joint and you, you'll feel better. And this has actually been well studied and you, you don't have to go five times a week. We're talking about going once or twice a week with, you know, a therapist that works with you at a level that you can tolerate. So, you know, we're not trying to bend you into a pretzel, um, but it, it works really well. And it's very important to distinguish the types of exercises that you should be performing. You know, many patients come into the office and tell me that with a severely arthritic joint, they're walking miles and miles and miles per day, which may not actually be the, the best thing for them. So, Dr. Mark, could you elaborate on the types of lower impact exercises that are available that may actually be better for patients with arthritic joints? So that's a good point. Um, just like what Dr. Parcell says, physical therapy can give you a lot of advantages that you wouldn't think about. One of the things about arthritis is that I tell my patients that stiffness comes before the pain. The first thing they notice is they can't straighten their knees all the way or they can't bend it all the way. It just doesn't want to move. Um, and with the arthritic hips, you can't get to your shoes and socks or do your toenails. It's very important to do stretching exercises because as you lose that range of motion due to the arthritis, it's not coming back. So you want to preserve it as best you can. So maybe somewhere down the road, if you do have surgery, 
or want to do more uh, vigorous activity that you preserve your range of motion. So things like stretching your hamstrings or your quadriceps for your knee, stretching out your uh, groin muscle or your hip muscles as needed for your hip is very important. So uh, the other things is People are saying, oh, I go to the gym, I lift a lot of weights. Things that you do deep squats or if you're doing high impact activities, that's really not good for your joints. But, you know, more fluid range of motion, whether or not you're doing it in a swimming pool or doing gentle weights, but not doing the full range of motion. Those are very helpful. But stretching is very important for these people. And physical therapy can really teach you that. Yeah, quads and hamstrings are probably the most important things to lower joint replacement specialists like like us. Uh, we would also beg you to please stop doing squats and lunges. They are probably yeah. the worst exercises okay. that you could be doing right now, which we do hear a lot of uh, personal even, trainers are, are really recommending. Oh, please don't. It's Especially, good if you're healthy and you don't have arthritis, but if you do, if I could blow the up the thing. treadmill factory, I probably would. I even think I'll get like the occasional 25 year old that comes in. Every time I ask them, are you doing lunges? They say yes. Do you like go on Instagram? Do you have Instagram? No. So like every fit model in the world is showing like. What's Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys aren't that. Um, but every like. I'll call them fit models on Instagram is doing squats or lunges because that's like the hip thing to do. So you're saying that is slightly dangerous for your future. With regard to Just your knees. joints, yeah. it is probably the worst exercise you could be doing. Yeah. It helps with your physique and your rear, but you know, say, not really for your knees, not so good. We're not allowed Just to talk squatting, about that. Squatting, kneeling, not so good. But, you know, you can get just as much strength if you flex your knee to about 45 degrees and do leg extensions than you do going all the way down. Anywhere from 45 to 90 plus is really bad for your knees. I don't even mind leg press. I think leg presses are better because it's like more control. A seated right? leg press yeah, or leg right? extension, uh, stationary bike, elliptical yeah. machine, Nordic track, all acceptable. Pool is probably the best. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, we're going to move on to number three, and, and this is probably the favorite part of our, our day in the office, injections. And there is a general phobia in the community about getting a needle or getting an injection, but it is important to understand that it is a great way to get anti-inflammatory medication, which we have already established, you know, arthritis is an inflammation issue. So controlling the arthritis is our primary goal. So Dr. Mark, what's the first line injection that you would recommend to a patient when they haven't seen improvement with physical therapy and a consistent anti-inflammatory? My personal opinion is to do cortisone injections, and that may be different than some other people. Um, like I said, uh, the itis in arthritis is inflammation and cortisone is an anti-inflammatory. So it really helps with the pain. Um, it works relatively quickly. All the, all the questions I get is, oh, cortisone's bad for me. It's going to make me gain weight. Well, the cortisone that we give in your knees is much different than the oral cortisone that you take orally. It's not going to give you 10 extra pounds. Um, the other questions is, oh, I can only get so many cortisone injections in my lifetime. Uh, I also don't think that's true. If you truly have bad joint arthritis, whether it's in the hip or the knee, it's pretty safe to get them every three to four months. 
you know, for a number of years. Um, I wouldn't be injecting your tendons or your ligaments with cortisone. That's damaging. But for the knee joint, if it's arthritic and that's your problem, I think it's very helpful. Uh, the other questions are, you know, if you're a diabetic, is it going to affect me? I think cortisone injections do raise your blood sugar. It's very short and it's transient. Usually for about 10 to 24 hours, your blood sugar may go up. I tell my patients, don't chase it. And usually it goes away fine on its own. But I think that's usually 90% of the time my first line defense for um People that have knee problems, I think cortisone shots are very effective and they do help. Um, eventually, over time, they will stop helping. And then that's when we talk into other options. I think it's also important to remind patients that while cortisone injections are generally fairly benign and do provide a fair amount of relief, that you can get something like a, a steroid flare, which is a, a condition where it actually causes more inflammation for a period of 24 to 48 hours. That can be easily controlled with, with anti-inflammatory icing and elevation. But there are additional injection options that are available, and that brings us to visco supplementation. So, Dr. Parcells, why don't you give us a quick overview of what visco supplementation entails and how effective it actually is? Sure. So we had talked earlier about... Um, the role of like the joint fluid in your knee or your hip, which kind of circulates and acts as a lubricating agent like motor oil. And the idea is that maybe you can augment that with an additional kind of gel to help lubricate the joint and uh, kind of help reduce friction by helping the arthritic joint move more smoothly. I would say in general, I, I agree with Dr. Mark that cortisone just works better in my opinion, but I do have, you know, the subset of patients that swear by the gel injections. Uh, they're only approved for the knee. They're not approved for the hip. Um, they're not approved for the shoulder. The clinical studies show that they can be helpful, but I think in general, most people would agree that the, the cortisone is a little better supported in the literature. Um, Again, so they're all made out of like hyaluronic acid, which is this natural product that your body makes on its own. So it's kind of acting as a supplement. Um, they're expensive. And so your insurance company will only let you get them every six months. They don't care how many cortisone. So we care how many cortisone shots you get because your body has to reabsorb the medicine and before it's safe to give another one, right? So we only give those three every three or four m months at the earliest. But the gel, you can only give every six months because it costs the insurance company like 500 bucks or something. So th they're the ones. <laughs> they're Probably the, more than that. They're, the, more, yeah. they're the gatekeepers of the gel. Um, and then the, the questions that come up with gel is like, is it actually providing a cushion? I would say, I don't think so. You guys can chime in, but... Um, it's a liquid. So when you put weight down on your knee, it kind of pushes the liquids to the side. Um, and there's no like evidence to say it structurally helps to support your knee. Um, they ask what is, so these gels can be administered as a single injection versus three or four injections. People always ask me what's the optimal amount. I don't know, Joel, what do you, what do you like to give it? I give a series of three injections simply because I, I feel like a single shot is an awful lot of fluid to get in, in one sitting. 
I equate the the Visco supplementation to an oil change for your car. Yeah, I mean it's it's the ba- it's the best analogy that I can give. There's no literature that supports whether three or four single injections are, are better. And to be perfectly honest, the the gel shots are a fifty fifty at best in terms of whether they work or not. Mm-hmm. However, there is a definite subset of the population that responds very well to these injections yeah. and they can be repeated every six months at the behest of your insurance company. <laughs> so it is important to know, you know, what your, your insurance company's limitations are in that regard, because that does direct our treatment in some regard. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point with the, uh, gel shots. Again, there are patients that do really well with it. Um, I agree with the uh, what the other two doctors have said. I prefer three because I think putting it in slowly gets it absorbed into the cartilage better. But people that hate injections will do a single shot. And it depends on your insurance company, the name of the product. They're all the same. It's like potato chips in the potato aisle. There's, yeah, there's, it's like Coke and Pepsi. It's all sugar water. Right. It, <laughs> it's it, whether which brand you it's like It's all better. cola. It just depends on what brand. Yeah. So we're going to move on to number four which is diet and exercise. And this is actually far more important than, than almost anything else that, that we can recommend. And, and there's no miracle diet for arthritis. Patients ask all the time, is, is, there, is there some kind of food I should be eating to, to help with my arthritis? And, and what I would say is whatever is going to control your weight best is actually what you should be eating. Um, Unfortunately, weight gain and obesity is a big issue when it comes to arthritis. Every pound adds an extra 4 to 10 pounds of pressure per square inch per step that you take through your hip and your knee. And if you can lose 5 to 10 pounds, it will make an enormous difference in terms of how much stress is applied across an arthritic joint. So... Dr. Mark, is there anything additional that you can recommend when it comes to a diet and exercise routine for our our older patients? I think you you kind of hit it right where it is. I mean, it's very important to keep your weight down. Uh, unfortunately, obesity is a big issue, and it's probably the single biggest issue that causes arthritis. Um so the more weight you put on, the more stress you put on your joints, your tire on the car analogy. If you have more of a load, you wear out your tires faster. Um, I tell my patients it's seven times your body weight behind your kneecap when you go into a squat. So for every pound or two you lose, that's seven to 14 pounds off your knee that you go into a squat. So anything you can do to lose the weight, uh, it's very important. When it comes to exercise, I feel that anything that keeps your joints moving is very helpful. If you sit around all day, you notice the first couple steps you get up are very stiff and painful. That's what you want to avoid. If you can keep your joints lubricated and moving all the time, I think that will help you out tremendously. So anything to keep your weight down is very important. And I think diet is much more important than exercise. But being sedentary is the worst thing you can do. Bert, this may be a a tougher question. Do you think there are any actual diet recommendations that you can make in terms of types of foods that arthritic patients can be using? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Joel. Before we started this podcast, me and Joel were talking about how like gluten 
causes it's related to celiac disease and it triggers inflammation and how there's certain drinks that are like there's certain well, let's just there's certain beers that are low gluten and uh, <laughs> maybe they make you feel better when you drink them. Um, but there's also pastas that are low gluten that don't taste as good, but maybe they make you feel better. That is but, very true. <laughs> right. They definitely taste worse, but you might feel better. Um, but there are like so that gluten is the ultimate example of there are foods that can trigger inflammation in people. And then when I talk to my patients, I also say sugar, just like pure sugar triggers inflammation. So if you're having tons of sweets, that is a pro-inflammatory thing. Um, dairy in some people triggers. So like there's no one diet, I don't think that applies to all people, but different people have inflammatory reactions to foods. And like we've been saying all night here, um, arthritis is inflammation. So the more you can figure out what triggers inflammation in your body, the better off you are to like avoid those things. Uh, perfectly stated. And we're going to move on to our, our number five in terms of non-operative treatment, which includes holistic approaches and, and regenerative medicine. Uh, I'll start with Dr. Mark. A lot of literature and a lot of a lot of publicity has been paid to PRP and amniotic fluid injections as of late. When it comes to patients with end-stage arthritis, what can you tell us about how effective those particular injections might be? So it's been very popular to look at a couple things. There's a PRP, which stands for platelet-rich plasma. It's the cells in your body that uh, are, we call it the fancy word is cytokines, but they're the cells that tell the other cells what to do. So the cytokines really cause inflammation. So how PRP should work is that if you inject it into a certain part of your body, it stimulates inflammation, which stimulates healing. Um, for the knee joint, you know, if it's inflamed, you put the PRP in there, it inflames more, and hopefully maybe it gets better. It's not going to repair your cartilage. Now, if you have a tendonitis or something else, there may be some value with it. Um, the other thing that's very common is we call stem cell injections. This I have more concern about. Stem cells, they actually harvest it from your fat. And we don't know how to program these stem cells. So if you take stuff from your belly and put it in your knee, it's probably not going to do much. So to me, that's not very valuable. PRP may have a small role. The thing about these injections are is that you're moving something in your body to another part of your body. So it's not regulated by the FDA. So people, again, can make these claims that may not be true, but the FDA can't stop it from happening because they're not doing any harm. The other thing that's pretty popular is amniotic fluid. Um, I haven't used it much. I know that it prevents scar tissue and certain things. Uh, it may decrease your inflammation again, but you need to be careful because it, all these things are not covered by insurance and it's a large cash outlay from your own pocket. And so there are some incentives by these people to take your money if it's not the right thing for to do with you because insurance will not cover this. Yet another great point, Art, the stem cells, PRP, and amniotic fluid injections are not covered by insurance. They are uh, out-of-pocket costs, and they can actually be quite pricey, sometimes upwards uh, of six to $700, even over $1,000. So with limited 
scientific research to actually back them, we, we do have trouble recommending them on a regular basis, although it may be appropriate for certain individuals. In addition to that, there are options like acupuncture, uh, even the new trend is CBD. And, and Bert, maybe you can give us a, a little bit of insight into how we use those particular modalities in terms of treatment for arthritis. Um, I gave you a tough one. I'm not going to yeah, lie. You really threw a curveball <laughs> at me. I've, I've actually done acupuncture for my neck. At one point when I was a resident, I pulled my some of the muscles in my neck and got acupuncture and actually thought that it helped a lot. So I, I don't think anyone really understands why it works. Maybe, maybe they do, but um, it does seem to help like change like blood flow or somehow like wash out inflammation from certain areas. So I think it's certainly worth trying like the downside of there's basically no downside other than the cost. So I tell patients that you can kind of do whatever you want with some of these holistic measures because some people do find a lot of success from them. And the whole goal here is just to make you feel better. So I'm okay with all that. The CBD, I really don't have a lot of experience with. Um, I don't know. Art, do you prescribe CBD oils? I don't usually prescribe CBD oils. I mean, there are a lot of people that try it. Um, I think there is a role in, you know, helping with the inflammation and the pain. Again, uh, because these things are not covered by insurance, that you should try it. And there are some people that get great relief from it. Um, the whole world of medical marijuana has become uh, accepted. You know, in the state of New Jersey, I think for chronic pain, medical marijuana is a is a viable option. CBD is just taking the, um, you know, the mind part of it out and hopefully gives you the pain relief without the euphoria part of it. But again, it, it varies from person to person. With acupuncture, I do recommend it to a lot of my patients. Um, you know, the science behind it may be you're stimulating nerves and decreasing the inflammation. Uh, again, it works for some people and others. It's worth trying, I think, for some people. So we've we've taken you through probably our, our best five non-operative options when it comes to arthritis. We do recommend always following through with a, a non-operative treatment course. There are insurance companies which actually require you to follow through with a non-operative plan before they will consider authorizing a, a surgical procedure. Um, that being said, there, there are a subset of patients that actually are not indicated for surgery. And maybe to, to finish up, we'll, we'll just go through what those potential patients might look like. Are, is there a, a particular patient that you might not recommend moving forward with any surgical intervention for? The, the major two groups are, number one, the patients that have medical conditions that prohibit them from surgery. They're usually cardiac issues, people with really poor lung or heart function. Um, I don't think they're really good candidates. Uh, there's also a small set of people that are very young that we try to push off. There's some high-risk categories for infection, which is the other big category. So patients with history of infection, people that are high risk for infections, transplant patients, people with sickle cell anemia, um, people that have a high risk for infection in the future. 
Trust me, infections are probably the worst complication you could ever have. Amen. You really need to have a good conversation with your doctor about the risk and benefits of the surgery. For me, I still think for the vast majority of people, if your health is okay and yet you're infection-free or have a low risk of infection, surgery may be a really good option for you. We are very good at treating inflammation, no matter where it comes from. Uh, but I think we have run our course for this particular session. I'm going to turn it back over to, to Layla, and I hope we have provided a educational, if not off-cuff, Absolutely. I'm applauding over here. I um, That is all the time we have for today, but this has been just, wow, the amount of information. I'm over here just jaw on the floor. Thank you to our host of this episode, Dr. Fetchison. Uh, you can come back anytime. You can come back and host anytime you want. Um, our guests, Dr. Mark and Dr. Parcells, all from CV Orthopedics Joint Replacement Team. Appointments for all our physicians can be booked online at www.cvortho.com. Also, a huge thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the CV Ortho podcast and share this episode with other ortho enthusiasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at CV Ortho and like us on Facebook for updates on upcoming episodes. Get up, get moving, and get back to quality living with CV Orthopedics.